Uh, Would you turn to Acts chapter 2? We've been looking at the church. Uh, We looked at the nature of the church. We looked at those descriptions given to us of the church and how important it is. Uh, In the uh, um, New Testament, we have uh, considered baptism. And then um, this week, I want to follow on uh, from that. And if you turn to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, first of all, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation." So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And then if you turn over, please, to Second Timothy, Second uh, Timothy chapter 4. A little tip that I was given when I was first converted was just to remember all the T's in your Bible and the New Testament are together. So that might help you. Uh, locate it. Second Timothy uh, chapter 4 and verse 1. Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when People will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Amen. And we know God will always bless the reading of his own inspired word. So this morning we're continuing our studies in the church and we come to the first of those four pillars uh, of the church mentioned in Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Uh, Remember that word devoted, the authorized version says continued steadfastly, carries the idea of being stuck. Uh, being glued to these four elements, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. These were the four essential elements of early church life, and right at the head of that list is preaching, the apostles' teaching. That teaching was an important and essential and integral part of church life. Now, that's not universally accepted in the professing church of Jesus Christ. In some churches, it has been dispensed with altogether or replaced by a motivational talk that lasts no more than uh, 10 minutes. 
the church collectively and a Christian individually, if it is to grow to maturity, needs to be read, uh, fed regularly and substantially from the Word of God. It is my persuasion that the church uh, collectively and the Christian individually will never thrive on ignorance. A sermonette produces a Christianette. Um, you know the story of the new curate who applied, uh, who was appointed to his, pas- uh, his parish, and he wrote to the bishop and asked him, what should I preach about on my first Sunday? To which the bishop replied, about 10 minutes. Well, 10 minutes will never feed a congregation. William Sangster, the great Methodist preacher who's ministered in Westminster Central Hall just before his death in 1960, said this, Preaching is in the shadows. The world does not believe in it. Sadly, things have so regressed from that that we could change one word in that quote to make it more relevant to our contemporary situation. Preaching is in the shadows. The church does not believe in it. And that's a serious departure from the pattern that we see in the New Testament. Here in Acts 2, we see that the apostles' teaching was one of those four central pillars that was considered to be indispensable, an indispensable part of church life. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. These were the things that the early church committed themselves to. They were glued to these things. And right at the head of the list is preaching. Now, remember, the book of Acts has this general purpose of telling the story of the church's advance, the evangelistic advance, the missionary advance, the forward thrust of the church. It's not primarily concerned by giving us a detailed description of life in the early church, but occasionally in Acts, You get these little glimpses, these little insights into the priorities and practice of the early church. So as we noticed in Acts 2, we have the new converts devoting themselves to the apostles' doctrine. In Acts 6, uh, we have that prototype, that forerunner of the office of deacon, and we discover the reason why those seven men were appointed Uh, was because the apostles said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Their priority was the ministry of the Word of God. And then that passage that is uh, every preacher's favorite passage in Acts chapter 20, where Paul preached so long that Eutychus fell out the window, fell down three stories and died. And after Paul went down, raised him to life, he went up, he had something to eat, and he continued where he left off and preached through the night. In that same chapter in Acts 20, Paul says to the Ephesian elders in verse 20, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful for you. And later in verse 27, I have not hesitated to preach to you the whole counsel of God. So preaching, even in the book of Acts, which is not primarily there to describe church life, we see that preaching was central to church life. But it's when you come into the epistles, particularly the pastoral epistles, Titus 
uh, 1 and 2 Timothy, we see how crucially important preaching was to the early church. In these three epistles, which are addressed to pastors, we see that Paul's great concern in moving from the apostolic period to the post-apostolic period, that teaching, the teaching, the apostles' teaching would be passed on to the next generation. He says in Acts, or 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, And the things you have heard from me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will in turn be qualified to teach others. I've passed it on to you, Timothy. You pass it on to reliable men, and those reliable men are to pass it on to others too. We need a new generation of preachers raised up because preaching and teaching is crucial to the stability and the advance of God's church in God's world. Now, this morning, I want to develop that a little bit uh, by looking at this passage that we read in 2 Timothy chapter 4, one of the pastoral epistle. This um, chapter contains some of the last words ever spoken or written by the Apostle Paul. He is within weeks, perhaps only days from his martyrdom, when we know, according to fairly reliable tradition, that he was beheaded on the outskirts of Rome. In verse 6, he states, "'For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept those the, the faith. And so these words may be regarded as uh, Paul's swan song to the church. They breathe an atmosphere of great solemnity, and it is impossible, I think, to read them without being profoundly stirred. A person's dying words can be remarkably revealing about the person and their priorities. And here, in Paul's last words, he gives this charge in the presence of God, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Here, Paul uh, borrows a language from the legal profession uh, used when a person was testifying under oath. In Jewish law, uh, a testimony had to be established uh, in the presence of two witnesses. And Paul calls on God the Father and Christ Jesus to witness what he is about to say. So Paul wants to underline to Timothy the importance, the significance the um, uh, essential nature of this charge that he is about to deliver. So I want you to notice three things this morning. The requirement Paul makes. Notice verse 2. He says, I charge you in the presence of God, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. The essence of this charge to this young pastor is to preach the Word. Everything in the passage is related to this. Preach the Word. He is not to give a word. He is not to share a word. He is to preach the Word. 
Well, what is the word? Well, Alex has already alluded to it there in verse 16 of chapter 3. Just to, if you look over the page, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped, the NIV says, be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, we uh, know that the Word of God that he is referring to is the Old Testament, because if you go up to verse 14, he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you uh, learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. So he says, The Word that you preach is the Old Testament, but also continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Uh, uh, If you go up to verse 10, you, however, have followed my teaching. So it's the Old Testament, and it is the apostolic word. It's both those things together that are inspired by God. Now, you'll know that um, uh, Dan Brown in the Da Vinci Code uh, says that the canon of Scripture wasn't fixed to the 5th century. That is such a historically inaccurate and misleading statement. Because uh, although the canon of Scripture was solidified at that particular point, the canon of Scripture was identified long before that. In fact, Augustine Uh, he refers to the canon of Scripture and names exactly the same books that we have in our canon of Scripture. And although these books were circulating in the early church, they were regarded as part of Scripture. Just turn over. I want to show you this because it's very important. 1 Peter uh, uh, chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. 1 Peter chapter... or Sorry, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. 2 Peter chapter uh, 3 and verse 15. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Well, we know that. Some things in Paul are hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other, notice that, the other scriptures. You see that? That even at this early stage, people were uh, able to identify uh, as the inspired word of God, the epistles of the apostles. So what, what, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy, and uh, Second Timothy is the last letter that he penned. It's last in the canon of Scripture, apart from Revelation. He says, all Scripture is breathed out by God, is inspired by God, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work that he doesn't need to look anywhere else. He doesn't need to get fresh revelation. All that he has in Scripture is sufficient to thoroughly equip him for every good work. It's like a a mechanic who's building up his tools 
uh, over the years, and he needs tools for different jobs, and his toolbox uh, grows and grows until it, uh, he, he, he reaches the point where he's thoroughly equipped. He doesn't need anything else. All that he needs is to be found in the, the Word of God. And that's the Word then, the apostolic doctrine. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the apostolic doctrine and the teaching of the Old Testament provided the inspired basis for the proclamation, for the preaching that Timothy was to to make. So his responsibility is not only to hear the Word and obey the Word, to guard the Word and defend the Word, to suffer the Word and continue in the Word, but also to proclaim the Word, to preach the Word. That word preach means to herald forth. It was used of, uh, of a, uh, someone who was commissioned by a king or a ruler to make uh, royal proclamations. And he would go to a village or, or, or town and he would proclaim what the king said in a loud and clear and on an unhesitating voice. He wasn't an ambassador who would enter into negotiations uh, with the, the people who were listening to him. He proclaimed, he preached the uh, will of the king. And that's what preaching is. John Calvin says every time the gospel is preached, it's as if God himself uh, came in person to solemnly call us and summon us. Preaching is God's method. It is God's way. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. The non-Christian thinks it's absolutely ridiculous. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul says, preach the word. May God help us to preserve the primacy of preaching in this church. That's why in, in uh, Reformed churches, the pulpit is always central, always central, over and above the communion table, because the word of God is central to the life of the church. It's the Word of God. It's the preaching of the Word that drives the church, shapes the church, and matures the church. I notice Paul goes on to list some things that are to characterize Timothy's preaching. He is to preach uh, with urgency. Be ready in season and out of season. The NIV says, be prepared. Be instant, says the authorized version. It literally means be be ready, be at hand. It means to be alert, to be eager, to be vigilant in your proclamation of the Word of God. J.B. Phillips paraphrases it, never lose your sense of urgency. Good preaching conveys a sense of urgency. It's not listless or lackadaisical. It's not a kind of take it or leave it um, a Bible talk. The message of the preacher is a matter of life and death. And the preacher himself cannot remain indifferent to that message because it concerns the plight of man and the power of God. The good preacher is a passionate preacher. He preaches with conviction. It was the Puritan Richard Baxter who said, I preach as a a dying man to dying men. I preach as if I will never preach again. And it was Martin Luther who said, I preach as if Christ was crucified yesterday, was buried today, and is coming back tomorrow. 
urgency. Be ready. Persistent. He is to preach in season and out of season. A farmer knows that there are certain seasons that you sow. There are times that are conducive to scattering the seed, but not with preaching. That scattering of the seed is to be in season and out of season. When circumstances are conducive and when circumstances are hostile, he continues sharing, scattering, uh, planting the seed. And in his own heart, there are seasons. Not only in his congregation are there seasons, not only in the contemporary world are there seasons, but in the, his own heart there are seasons. Times when he's enthralled and invigorated and excited about the other word. And times he comes into the pulpit with, his, uh, with lead in his boots, feeling uh, 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 drudgery as he unfolds the truths of God's Word, but, but he has to preach in season and out of season. You know that story about uh, the mother who shouted upstairs and says, John, it's time to get up. It's time for church. And he doesn't budge. John, get up. It's time for church. Um, and then she bursts through the door. John, you're going to be late. It's time for church. And he says, I'm not going to church. I don't like anybody there, and nobody likes me there. And John, uh, his mother says, John, for goodness sake, you're 47 years of age and you're the pastor. Well, he, he preaches in season and out of season. So he's urgent, he's persistent, he's relevant. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort that he is to reprove, he is to correct. Um, the Lord's people sometimes have this tendency to wander from the truth and to embrace error. And the, the faithful preacher will reprove. They sometimes allow the world to creep into their lives, and they need rebuked, and he will rebuke. And uh, sometimes they're low and spirit, and they're downhearted, and they need uh, exhorted or encouragement. That word is, it comes from the Greek word parakletos, which is used of the Holy Spirit. I will send another comforter. And the preacher is there to bring comfort through the Word as well. Now, the good preacher will do all three. He'll reprove, rebuke, and exhort. He knows his congregation. He knows what their need they need. He's relevant to their needs. Some have embraced error and need to be reproved. Others have fallen into sin and need to rebuke and others are plagued with doubts and fears, and they need to be encouraged. And sometimes that's a hard balance to get. So the preacher is to preach with a sense of urgency, persistence, relevancy, and then finally with patience. Do you, do you see that? He, um, he says, um, and with complete uh, patience and teaching. Complete patience. Complete patience. Great patience. I don't want to hear that. I would like to say a little bit of patience. Not complete patience. But he says complete patience. Complete. Um, um, uh, James Montgomery Boyce said to Alistair Begg one occasion, he says, young men have, young preachers have um, 
tend to overestimate what they can accomplish in a year and underestimate what they can accomplish in ten. Complete patience. Just go on teaching. Just go on instructing. Just go on giving the truth, he says. Complete patience. Complete patience. So, preaching. Uh, he, He tells us then to or he tells Timothy to preach the word, the requirement Paul makes. The second thing I want you to notice is the reason Paul gives to Timothy. As Timothy read these words after Paul's solemn introduction in verse 1 and charged to preach the word, no doubt he would have been tempted to shrink back from that awesome responsibility to, to soft-pedal, to look for another job. Uh, Timothy had a retiring uh, disposition. Uh, John Stott says he was more disposed to lean than to lead. And so Paul not only gives him this command to preach, but he adds incentives to preach. He reminds Timothy of the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead, and he reminds them of the contemporary situation in which he find himself. So first of all, he says, the judgment of Christ. In verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of the of, of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Paul believed that Christ would return, that he would judge the living and the dead, and that the world, uh, and that would usher in his kingdom. I remember Paul is writing to Timothy, to a believer, to a pastor, to a preacher. And he's saying that God will judge the living and the dead. That there is a judgment coming, not only for the non-Christian, not only for the Christian, but for the preacher in particular. Paul writes to Roman Christians and he says, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that the fire in that judgment will test the quality of each man's work. And that applies to all Christians, but it applies to preachers too. Remember uh, in our study in James, James 3 and verse 1, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because those who teach will be judged more strictly. That's a verse that gives me nightmares at night. Those who who teach will be judged more strictly. The whole introduction to this charge to preach the Word is intended to instill a sense of solemn duty into Timothy. Matthew Henry says the best of men need to be awed by the discipline of their duty. A-W-E-D. This is a serious business, preaching the Word. Preaching the Word. And I notice Paul, he says there in in verse 6 and 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is led up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. I am dying, uh, uh, Timothy. The world is perishing, Timothy. Preach the word. 
fulfill all the duties of your, your ministry, as he will later say. But I'm looking forward to that judgment because I have fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the Greek, the nouns come first. Fight. Uh, um, fight. Fought. Good fight. Uh, um, fought the good fight. Course finished. Uh, fight the good fight. Finish the course. Faith kept. Kept. Because he was looking forward to that judgment and he was living his life in the light of that uh, judgment. We're going to be judged and the preacher's going to be judged. That's a serious thing. And then the contemporary situation. Look at, look at verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off um, to, to myths. So he says the time will come, will come when people will not endure sound teaching, sound there. We know uh, some people will say, oh, he's, he's very sound, but that's a, a medical term, and it means healthy. It means life-giving. He's a sound teacher. He gives good teaching, and the time will come when people will despise good teaching. Then they, there will be a love of novelty, they will gather preachers round them who will uh, scratch their itchy ears, who will give them what they want to hear, who will uh, feed them with trivia. And the time will come when Christian people will turn from the truth. And what does Paul tell Timothy uh, to do in the light of deviation and innovation? Proclamation. It doesn't say avoid doctrinal preaching, pander to novelty, join them in turning from the truth. No, 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 he says, preach the word. That's the answer to the contemporary situation, to give people an appetite for the word of God. Explain the scriptures, explain all of the scriptures, preach through the scriptures so that they have a balanced diet in the word of God. So the requirement Paul makes preach the word, the reason Paul gives, uh, judgment to come in the contemporary situation, and then uh, the response Paul expects. Just look at verse 5. And always, uh, as for you, always be sober-minded. That's his attitude. I like the way the NIV puts that. Keep your head in all situations. Keep your head. You don't go off your head. You don't get a swollen head. You don't get a shrunken head. You keep your head. and Just do it. Just do what you're doing. Keep your head in all situations. You're up at Junction 1 and, and into the Nike shop. Most of the stuff doesn't fit me. But anyway, there was this T-shirt. I thought it would be great to wear it to church this morning. The Nike symbol. Just do it. Just do it. It's the calling of every preacher. Just do it. Just get on with the, the work. Just preach the word. His sacrifice, endure hardship, he says. Endure hardship. I remember he's writing to a pastor in a church. He's not just thinking of hardship in the world. It's hardship in the church. Endure hardship, he says. His priority, he says, do the work of an evangelist. Keep that gospel edge, that 
a gospel thrust to your your ministry. You're not an evangelist, but you do the work of an evangelist so that everybody that comes to church know there's a clear distinction between the Christian and the non-Christian, between the saved and the lost, those that are the Lord's and those that aren't, that they need to be converted and they need to come to faith in Christ. Keep doing that work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. That means to complete it, to to bring it to completion, to fill it up. Just do all the things that you're supposed to do when it comes to preaching the Word. Calvin says, the more determined men are to despise the teaching of Christ, the more zealous ministers need to be in asserting the teaching of Christ. Keep your head in all situations. That's the call and the commission of, uh, of, a, of a preacher. Rudyard uh, Kipling's great uh, poem, I think is very appropriate uh, in this situation. If you can keep your head when all about are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make alliance for their doubting too, if you can wait and not be tired of waiting, or being uh, lied about, don't deal in lies, or being hated, don't give way to hating, and yet don't look too good nor talk too wise. If you can talk to crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings nor lose your common touch, if neither foes or loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, yet none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything in it. And what is more, you'll be a man, my son. Preach the word. That's the calling of every pastor. That's the calling of every preacher to, to preach the word, to be urgent, to be in season and out of season to rebuke and exhort uh, uh, with complete patience and teaching. Now, if that is the job, I, I, I sometimes just wish that I could get everybody to, to preach in the church at least once. Just, just allow them to preach, to see what's involved. It takes me about 14 hours to prepare one message. 14 hours. Sometimes I think people think you stand up here and God just drops it into your head and out it comes your mouth. But it's, it's about 14 hours of preparation for every sermon. And I'm not, I'm not telling you that for sympathy, because I love doing the job that I do, but it is hard work. It's hard work. And you need to, to pray for those who preach the Word. You need to encourage those who preach the Word. And you need to respond to those who preach the word. I know you'll not agree with everything that I say, but you need to be like the people of Berea who search the scriptures diligently to see if these things be true. And that's all that I ask, that you take everything back to scripture, you test it to scripture, and you ask, is this the word of God? And... Um, and fight, fight tooth and nail to keep preaching central to the life of this church. Amen.